Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And our goal is to make the study of God's word accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Hello and welcome to another episode of Accessible Theology. We're so glad that you're listening in with us today and um, we are discussing another minor prophet today. Uh, We will discuss the book of Obadiah and just to crush your hopes and dreams uh, before we even get into it, you may be thinking, oh, Obadiah, that's only one chapter. This is going to be a really short episode. I doubt it. Yeah. So <laughs> just keep that in mind uh, as we go through. There's still a major message, even <laughs> yes. if this is a very short prophet. Yeah. The book is short, but the message is not. And so uh, we will discuss that here. But as always, want to start off with a little bit of background information. Uh, this may be a little bit briefer uh, because I don't think we know a whole lot about Obadiah. Uh, but we do know that uh, his name means... Yahweh's servant. So Obadiah just translates as Yahweh's servant. He's most likely um, prophesying during the Babylonian exile uh, after 586, but before 553. Again, this is this is a bit of a range, and it's not exact, uh, but that's most likely when it is taking place. And you'll notice as well something that's interesting um, about. Uh, Obadiah is that it says concerning concerning Edom, and so uh, interestingly, Obadiah is not being um, prophesied to the northern or the southern kingdom. It's not Israel or Judah; it's mm-hmm. Edom, uh, and so that's something that we're going to have to talk about a little bit more. Uh, it's it's Israel's neighbor to the east. And as Michael W. Smith said many years ago, go west, young man, uh, because east in scripture is not usually uh, pictured as something that is good. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Edom to the east of Israel is automatically, we're, I think, supposed to just uh, see in our minds that this is um, something that is evil, something that is a nation that is uh, rejecting God and so on and well, so forth. It, it's following also in, in the book of Genesis, Esau goes east when he's cursed. Yeah. And so we see that progression that they're following their father in that. And that's very clear that they're, that the Bible is foreboding and forewarning when you see that east language of what's about to come. Right, right. So that's where we're at with the book of Obadiah and some introductory remarks. But... Uh, from there, we we always ask three questions, and we're going to do exactly the same thing, and we're going to draw out some some things that are um, explicit, others that are implicit, but we're going to look at some themes uh, to answer our three questions. So the first question is our creedal connection question, uh, and that deals with Israel's creedal statement that we find in Exodus. Uh, And we're going to just simply ask, and Michael is going to walk us through, how does the message of this book align with Israel's creedal statement? Yeah, let me provide a kind of a brief two for one um, on that. So before I get to the creedal, I also want to show that this book harkens us back and reminds us of the 
Abrahamic covenant as well. Um, in that in uh, Obadiah verse, I almost said chapter, but you know, <laughs> yeah. just saying chapter, it's like yeah. with Jude, I guess. Um, when you look at verse uh, 10, you see, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. Notice how Edom's representing those who, you know, think of Jesus on the cross, they are casting lots instead of helping or in any way seeking to stand with their brother mm -hmm. and stand with the one that is himself god and edom is doing the same with uh with judah with his brother when they are being attacked and pillaged they joined the looters they mm -hmm. stood aloof and god condemns them and if you remember back in the abrahamic covenant we're told that anyone who blesses abraham will be blessed anyone who curses will be cursed and we see that uh, the edomites in not a blessing and instead being a part of the people that would be looked at as a curse to Jacob they th and put themselves under God's curse. So we see a connection there. But then secondly, yeah. regarding the uh, Israel's creole statement, which again is found in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which speaks of Yahweh's compassion, his steadfast love abounding and how um, he also will by no means clear the guilty. We see his character revealed in those texts. We see that mentioned here in verses 15 through 17, so I'll read those as well. We're told the day of the Lord is near for all nations. So again, the day of the Lord is when God visits in judgment, when he um, descends. Notice the nations that raise themselves like um Edom, like they're on a hill, they think they're better. Well, God consistently uses this language of, I'll come down to mm. you. No one is above God. God comes down and visits in judgment. So we're told the day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. So think of the serpent who, whose head will be crushed. Edom, who is acting like the seed of the serpent, will be crushed by God in judgment. We see in verse 16, then, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. God says, you know, you want to drink and enjoy, I'm going to make you drink until you can't drink anymore, and yeah. you will keep drinking the judgment, the wine of God's wrath, we could say here. It says that they will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. They will be, they will be so drunk they will not be able to fight or in any way be stable against their enemies told in verse 17 but on mount zion will be deliverance it will be a holy and jacob will possess his inheritance he says jacob will be a fire and joseph a flame esau will be stubble mm. and they will set him on fire and destroy him there will be no survivors from esau that is a uh, powerful word that we see that god will not clear esau of his guilt he will not in any way grant survivors, and he will uh, destroy them. Which, Aaron, if you want to introduce our second point, I want to build off that and connect into that. Then. Yeah, so that's that's helpful. Um, the next question we ask is the um, canonical cohesion question. And so we've discussed what uh, Obadiah is building on but then also what he's looking towards. And the canonical cohesion question just simply asks, 
where is this book quoted or fulfilled in the New Testament? And as we've mentioned uh, in previous episodes and, and hinted at here already, that there's not always an explicit statement uh, that we see quoted uh, or fulfilled uh, in the New Testament, but Obadiah is pointing towards something. And so I think that's what Michael wants to build off of. So what is um, what is Obadiah uh, pointing us to? How is this book uh, fulfilled in the New Testament? Yeah. So I once, uh, I, there's a quote that I appreciate that helps bring this about because Obadiah is not actually cited directly in the New Testament. And uh, one guy writes, just because you do not have a quote from Henry Ford in your 2012 Ford F-150 owner's manual, <laughs> it does not mean that your F-150 is not a Ford. Ooh, <laughs> got him. So uh, so what, what that means is that, that, that there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and there are a few that are not um, directly quoted in the New. So that includes Ruth, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, mm. and Obadiah. So the question is, are those books, do they not count <laughs> since they're not mentioned? And that's absolutely not the case because the Bible's themes keep coming out right, over and over right. again. And Obadiah thematically fits in perfectly with the will of God. It reveals this plan. And we see from the beginning this relationship of Jacob and Esau. Aaron and I were talking before we started this podcast and Aaron referenced how, you know, we see that Herod is a descendant of, of Edom and he is attempting to destroy Christ. So we see also that interplay going on that this continued warfare uh, happening in some ways. But what's interesting is in terms of canonical uh, cohesion. cohesion, I was trying to yeah. think of which C one we had after that. <laughs> Too much alliteration. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's unhelpful. Uh, yeah. But what we see is though there isn't an explicit mention in uh, the New Testament, we can look at things like Romans 9 and we mm. see Paul bring about again, for example, that Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, Further, we see more mention of Edom's destruction, even in Romans 9 through 11, as it's unpacked that Israel will be saved and the nations will be will be judged. And even, even more than that, what we do see as well in history is that Edom is destroyed. Archaeological discovery has found yeah. Edom utterly wiped out. They've actually found some of the remnants of it, but there is very, like it was obliterated later. And so God's promise of this judgment against them has come true in history right. and so that's an important thing to mention the bible is not it's not just a symbolic book separate from history it is history it is record and god's prophecies come true in time and with this specific warning and i go beyond warning this promise that obadiah gives of edom's destruction because they watched and stood aloof instead of helping their brother and their neighbor those promises came true in that Edom was destroyed right. and wiped out entirely. So we see God's will and God's plan come together in the destruction of um, this nation. And so that would be kind of the main uh, connection that I would make. And because we do see, again, I mentioned verse 15, the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. This connects very well with the concepts that we see in Romans 9, the judgment of God and the fact that that God has objects of mercy that are prepared for um, salvation and prepared for grace. And he has objects of wrath that are prepared for destruction and that God is the potter and that he can do it with the clay as he will. And we see with, with Edom that their actions are expressions of God's eternal decree that they will be destroyed. Mm -hmm. They were they made free decisions to go against their brother. They 
instead of joining the Israelites in the plunder of the Egyptians, they turned around and plundered Israel. And you do not plunder God's people and get away with it. I love how he says, your deeds will return upon your own head. In other words, God will not clear the guilty. So again, connecting back to that uh, canonical um, statement and that creedal connection as well, we see that God will not clear the guilty, that he will return their deeds upon their own head, and he did. Edom was destroyed. Yeah, absolutely, uh, which I think is is a good spot for us to then pivot to the Christological culmination question because, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe you're listening and you're saying, all right, there's a lot of a lot of judgment, a lot of negative, and just a lot of I don't know. I don't want to say weird stuff, but a lot of you know heavy themes in the Book of Obadiah. How is it that we can say Obadiah points us to Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked because the third and final question that we ask is the the Christological culmination question, which is how does this book point us to Jesus. And so, Michael, if you could uh, help us uh, understand this a little bit, how does Obadiah point us to Jesus? Yeah, so earlier I read uh, verse 18 where it says, Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. What we see, um, for example, I think, in terms of fulfilling this in the person and work of Christ is even in the end, uh, we are told, uh, let me go to second Thessalonians one real quick here for us. I should have turned that earlier, but in second, second Thessalonians one, we're told this, that Jesus um, will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed in our testimony to you. So when Christ returns, those who believe in him will join in on his authoritative judgment against the nations. And notice when it says Jacob uh, will be a fire, Joseph a flame, ultimately Jesus is the blazing, like he will bring blazing wrath, blazing fire with the sword of his mouth. He will destroy Satan, destroy the nations, and Esau will be looked at as stubble. Mm. They and he that is he will be kindling for the fire when Christ ultimately condemns anyone who does not obey and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that in terms of Christ's ultimate judgment, but we also see salvation. If we read verses nineteen through twenty-one, we see this: people from the Negev will occupy the mountain of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Zarephath will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be Yahweh's. Mm. So we notice this is connecting, I would say, with Psalm 2, the language of God installing his king on Mount Zion. And we know that that king is the son of David, who is ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus will reign over the nations. We see this fulfilled in Revelation 20 through 22 explicitly. Further, 
that this Mount Zion, we I would I need to clarify this. I don't know if I've said this in a previous Minor Prophet episode. Mount Zion, um, we believe, ultimately is fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. That it refers to the eternal state. That it refers to the bliss that is to come in heaven. And so what I love how it says, deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. Esau will not win. The enemies of God will not win. Right. They will be governed. They will be subjugated to the reign of King Jesus. Nothing will defeat his reign. And as it says in Psalm 2, that he will break them with a rod of iron. Mm. That there will be nothing that will defeat the judgment of Christ. Anything that goes against him will lose. It cannot win. He must reign, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So, connecting this with the personal work of Christ... All enemies will be destroyed, but notice that the company of Israel, we would say the true Israel, the believers, the, those who are in right relationship with God by faith in Christ, we will go up and reign with Jesus. We are told this in Revelation 2. Let me uh, turn to Revelation 2 and read this precious promise that's given to those who conquer by faith in Christ. We are told in Revelation chapter 2, and I believe it is verse... Yeah, 26, we're told to the one who is victorious, and the one who's victorious is the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. That one, meaning the, even believers, so believers will reign. That one will rule with them an iron scepter. So we will take up the iron scepter with King Jesus and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. So we are told that we will reign with King Jesus. We will be the ones that accompany him to Mount Zion and forever as his church, we will reign. Right now we're the church militant, meaning that we are at war with the kingdom of the world. One day, we will be the church triumphant, fully, in every way imaginable. So our hope in Christ and our hope in this fulfillment is that we will go up on the Mount of Zion. We will govern over all the world with King Jesus because the kingdom is Yahweh's. Amen. And what a word to end on. Uh, that is, I think, uh, a very helpful and very important connection. I'm also, I, I just wanted to say, thankful that you brought up uh, Psalms 1 and 2. I was listening to a lecture this week on the book of Psalms in general, but uh, he had spent so much time discussing Psalms 1 and 2 and their importance not only to uh, the Psalter, the book of the Psalms, but also to the entire Old Testament mm -hmm. and all of Scripture. Uh, and understanding eschatology, yeah. everything that's connected to Psalm 1 and 2. Yeah, they, and, they're some of the most important chapters. And, yeah. and so these people who are rejecting the Lord's anointed uh, are uh, receiving exactly what God promises they will receive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think we see that uh, on full display here in the book of Obadiah. But then also, as Michael was helpfully drawing out, that that those who do indeed kiss the Son, those who accept uh, the Lordship of Christ by faith, uh, receive uh, what Jesus alone deserves, and that is to be um, eternally safe in the hands of God and escaping his wrath uh, for all eternity. Uh, and, and the book of Obadiah helps us to see that, helps us uh, bring a little bit more clarity uh, to the message of the gospel uh, and 
So we are thankful for the major message of this minor prophet. Any final words you'd like to say, Michael? God wins, his enemies will lose, and as the church we hold to this, we've seen it fulfilled in history already with Edom. We will see it completely fulfilled one day. So we have reason to believe from the past, we have hope in the present, and we know for certain that the future is secure. So we trust in the promises of God, and we trust that God's judgment is good, and we look forward to his judgment uh, and when he brings all things aright and makes all things uh, new. Amen. And so until next time, we charge you as always to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.